Well, good morning, everybody. For those of you I do not know, my name is Mike. It's an honor to welcome you here to North Star Encompass. For all of you up in the chapel and all of you watching online, we are so honored you were here. In fact, before our last service, and those watching the theater, we've already overflowed in the theater uh, last service at 8.50, I got alerted from our online team that we had uh, someone watching today in Bali. How many of y'all would say, I would go to Bali and watch the service? All right, raise your hand. I'm good. I'm glad to know I'm with your company, but we're really glad you're here. Second week of our Secrets of the Kingdom series. So once you take your Bibles, turn to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 24. Get your notes out if you got something to write on. I think it's a day you want to. Also the sermon, uh, the North Star app, Probably the easiest way to follow the sermon along, North Star Church, Georgia. In the app store, you can scan that QR code there on the, on the uh, note sheet, and it will take you right there. Big day in our community yesterday. I want to do this right at the top because I saw a good friend on the way in, the athletic director from North Paulding High School. The North Paulding girls basketball team made it to the state championship for 7A. Would y'all give a big hand to the North Paulding girls? That is awesome. And, uh, man, we want to celebrate with them. So last week we began a study through what we called the secrets of the kingdom. The last week of Jesus's life, we saw him coming into town on uh, a donkey last week with palm branches. They all thought he was initiating his kingdom. That's what not what he was doing. Uh, we learned what the secret was last week. Today happened on Tuesday night. So look look with me in your outlines real quick. When kings died in battle back then, they stayed dead, living their followers at the mercy of their enemies. Uh, it's a great reminder, everything is temporary. So they thought, well, this is what it means, and, and Jesus is ushered in something new. So here's the secret we're going to unpack over our next few minutes together, that King Jesus will return for us, and we should be ready. King Jesus will return for us, and we should be ready. So let me say this at the top. We know this. Jesus lived a perfect sinless life. Jesus died a perfect atoning death on the cross. We know that Jesus got up on Sunday morning. We're going to celebrate it here in a few weeks at Easter. And he rose again. And we know that Jesus is coming back. Can I get an amen on that? So today is sort of a a front-loaded view. The disciples didn't get it. But Jesus, I think, in this can help us unpack some stuff. So I've invited my, our sort of our resident North Star biblical scholar. Uh, he serves on staff with us. He is, well, that's close to saying we got, all right? And so he serves on staff with us. We have been friends since second grade growing up. Oh, isn't that sweet? Feel bad for him, not for me, all right? And so, but he is uh, he's a jewel and a big part of our North Star today, and he's gonna help us unpack. Would y'all give a big hand to Mr. Steve Roach today? He joins us on stage. How many of y'all growing up when you were in school always tried to sit next to somebody smarter than you? Raise your hand. All right, here we go. Here, Matthew chapter 24. Ready? As Jesus was leaving the temple grounds, it's on Tuesday night, his disciples pointed out to him the various temple buildings. But he responded, this, 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 this statement was huge. Do you see all these buildings? I tell you the truth, they'll be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. So Steve that statement Jesus made 
was a earth-shattering statement to them. Why was the temple so important to the disciples and to the Jews during that time? Uh, the temple was the center of Jewish life and worship for over a thousand years. I mean, this is all they knew. Their worship, their life, everything centered around here. The temple was where the priests would burn sacrifices for the forgiveness of sin. Every morning and evening, Jews would come and gather at the temple for uh, prayers. All offerings that were brought, and there are different kinds of offerings, would be brought uh, here to the temple. If you remember the story of the widow's might, yep. where this widow who gave just a couple of uh, pennies into the treasury, uh, and Jesus was watching it take place, and then he paused and pointed out her great generosity. It happened at the temple. The temple is a focal point where, uh, of three festivals that all Jews worldwide were required to celebrate at the temple. And you've heard some of these, the Festival of Unleavened Bread, also known as Passover, uh, the Feast of Weeks, which is also called Pentecost, which took place seven weeks and a day mm. after Passover, 50 days after, and then the Feast of Booths, which was interesting. I know when we were learning about this in seminary, my Feast of Booths, and is that basically all Jew of Israel would roll into town, into Jerusalem, and they would camp out in tents for the week. Uh, it was like a Jewish version of Woodstock. I'm like, this is just strange. <laughs> what are you people doing? Uh, but yeah, the center of it all was the temple. And these disciples, so remember we just read in verse two, they're leaving, they look back at the temple. Now Jesus has seen the temple, right? He's grown up there. He was Jewish. He gets it. Why were these guys so enamored with the temple that they pointed it out to Jesus? This is a big part yeah, of the story. These guys, they were not from the big city. They were rural guys. They were just regular bubbas down. They were fishermen for, for a living. And, you know, and so when they made a trip to the big city, it was like, wow. And then they saw the temple. It was, it was unbelievable. They were blown away. It was how the size of it, the beauty of it. Um, it was kind of like, Mike, remember when you were young as a kid and the first time you left Fayetteville and went to see Bobby Dodd Stadium at Grandfield, Georgia Go Jackets. Tech. That's uh, right. We're both uh, Tech fans. And how <laughs> blown away you were by it, yep. how majestic that was, um, kind of like that. And so, uh, but this, the, the temple was five football fields long, four football fields wide. It was just massive. The Jewish historian Josephus tells us that the temple was covered in gold plates, and when the sun shone on it, it was like blinding to see. You had to turn away. When there was, where there was no gold, it was like uh, there were blocks of marble of such pure white that strangers who would be passing by and traveling by would look at it from a distance and think that there was snow on the temple. I was just, it was just a, and it was positioned up on this hill, and it was just an incredible sight. So when these guys heard Jesus say this about the temple and what he gets into, we hear it today and we're like, I mean, it was 2,000 years ago. Was it really that big a deal? I want you to watch this video that captures what the temple was like so this has context and some meat on it for you. Check this out.
How many of y'all would say, I had no idea it was that massive? Raise your hand. It's crazy. And so Jesus says in verse two that not one stone's gonna be left on top of the other. It's gonna be completely demolished. Why were these disciples so shocked at this audacious statement that Jesus made? Yeah, their jaws must have just hit the, hit the ground. They couldn't imagine how the, this temple this size could be destroyed. Some of the stones measure, uh, measured 40 feet by 12 feet by 12 feet. Um, and these things weighed, some of them up to 100 tons, if you can imagine that. Uh, some of the smaller stones were like three to five tons. They transported these, as we've learned later, uh, from a, a site uh, about a mile or so away. It was fortunately up the hill, so they all came down the hill with it, and they transported them using uh, wooden rollers. They put the stones on top of these rollers, and it, it would roll a little bit, and then they'd get the piece of wood and run it up to the front and roll it and being pulled by these uh, oxen. They had over 100 oxen that would be rotated. It was quite a process to put together. They must use the same contractors that built the pyramids. I don't know. Like, how do you, how do, you do this? Um, but they, you know, they wondered, like, something so massive, how is this going to happen? How are they going to see all this destruction? But really, the big thing that they wondered was, why would God allow such a thing mm. to happen to a place that was so central to worshiping him? Like, this was, in essence, for him and his people. They just didn't understand that. But here's what they really didn't know is that Jesus was far more concerned about the worship taking place in their heart mm. than what was happening at the temple because there wasn't a lot of true worship happening at the temple at this time. Uh, Jesus was not impressed with ornate buildings. We know in 1 Samuel, the Bible tells us that God looks at the heart, but man looks at outward appearances. They were, they were just looking at all of this, and Jesus is saying, uh, you know, he's pointing and saying, those things, they're gonna be rubble, you know, because Jesus knew what really matters, what took place in the heart. This is gonna happen not long after Jesus gives this prophecy. I mean, when somebody heard this back then, it was, it was huge. What ended up, Steve, happening within about 40 years of Jesus' statement? Yeah, about 40 years later, uh, the Jews felt really emboldened and said, we're tired of the Roman oppression over us, and so they started revolting. Uh, and an uprising against uh, the Romans. And so the Romans had had enough. They were the big deal of the day, the big army in the world. And so they came in and invaded Jerusalem. And they massacred most of the citizens that were there. Some escaped to the hills. Uh, the last surviving Jews of the city took refuge and they ran to uh, the temple. It was the strongest, most secure building in the city. So what happened was the Roman soldiers surrounded it. And then they started a fire that eventually was spread throughout uh, the temple compounds and it began to engulf the whole thing. And the ornate gold detail work in the roof began to melt. It was such a hot fire that it melted down into the cracks between the stone walls of the temple. And so when it was all done, the Roman commander realizing that there is probably millions in our day, millions and millions of dollars worth of gold in this rubble and he ordered that the temple be dismantled stone by stone. Now again, he had tens of thousands of soldiers that could come and, and do this process and animals and pulling an oxen and it was a, I don't know how long all this took but they were gonna get the gold out of there. And so, Mike, I know you probably remember this as we sat together in our biblical archeology span I was just class. reading about it yesterday, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we, uh, we, we, we went to seminary together. So <laughs> as we studied this particular fact, you probably remember that um, the destruction was so complete 
mm. that today we have a hard time knowing. They don't even know where the foundations of the temple exactly was. All that remained of that temple um, and that retaining wall surrounding the Temple Mount was a portion of the Western Wall, also now called the Wailing Wall, mm. which continues to be a place where Jews will pilgrimage today. So here are the disciples. We look at this in the rearview mirror, they're living it out real time. Listen to what Jesus goes on and says in verse three. Check this out. Later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, which is right next to a hill over, so they're looking at the temple. His disciples came to him privately and said, tell us, when will all this happen? And what sign will signal your return and the end of the world? People have been wanting to know this since the beginning, right? So they thought the end of time and, and Jesus' return was all one event, was not all. They thought this temple going down and Jesus' return, there was gonna be a church age that we're all living in, in between. Jesus told them, don't let anyone mislead you. Many are gonna come in my name claiming I'm the Messiah. They'll deceive many. And you'll hear of wars and threats of wars. Don't panic. All these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation of war against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world, but all of this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. Then you'll be arrested, persecuted, killed. You'll be hated all over the world because you are my followers. And many of you will turn away from me, betray and hate each other. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Sin will be rampant and the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be what? And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the world so that all the nations will hear it and then the end will come. Would you pray with me? Father, today, what you shared with your disciples wasn't just for them, it's for us too. Teach us from your word today what we need to know for this age that I believe that many of us in our lifetime may live in. And Father, that is our prayer, and I pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, would y'all join me and thank Steve for sharing with me today. Wasn't that good? Man. How can we be ready? It's not a question if he's coming back. It's when. How can we be ready? Mike, do we know when it is? No, we do not. I have a book that was on my shelf for many years, 88 Reasons Why Jesus Is Coming Back not by 1988. Didn't work out, all right? And so, but there's, you hear it all the time. He's coming here and he's coming here. What we need to know isn't the when, it's the what. What do we need to be prepared for? Number one, fight deception. Truth may not always be obvious. Fight deception. Jesus talks to them and he said, there will be many that come that will mislead you. How do we get misled? We get misled when we don't understand and we don't know. So I want you to write down two things. We're gonna unpack it. Study the word, stay on your knees. Study the word, stay on your knees. Since the beginning, there have been counterfeit 
messiahs. They've been, they were around during Jesus' day. They were prior to Jesus saying they were the messiah. There will be many in our lifetime, and we know them today. Maybe you know that as a cult, and sometimes you look at it and go, how in the world would you fall for that? The most dangerous are the ones that there's enough of Jesus in it that it can get you if you don't know the real thing. Does that make sense to everybody? So my mom worked in a bank for 30 plus years and people would try to exchange counterfeit money. Well, a banker, any banker or FBI agent would tell you, you don't learn counterfeit by studying counterfeit because it's always changing. Time out real quick. If people worked as hard at being good as bad, we could do a lot in this world. Can we agree on that? But so people counterfeit money. So you don't learn it by looking at counterfeit. You learn it by learning what the real thing looks like. This book, so let me, let me say this real quick. I've been at North Star since the first day. The day you walk in this building and we aren't in this book anymore, you need to go. Because this book is the real thing. This is the truth, not my truth, his truth, right? Jesus tells his disciples, fight deception. Don't let it surprise you when times come. And guys, as times get harder, we're gonna talk about here on point two, people are looking for an easier way. People are looking for a shortcut. They're looking for somebody to tell them the quick out. And Jesus is preparing his disciples and really in turn he was preparing us saying, just don't let people mislead you. Number two, stand firm. Following Jesus won't be easy. Stand firm. I wrote in my notes, be vigilant. Jesus is looking at us in, in, a, in a, a sports context. The game is gonna be hard the game is gonna get harder. Don't let it surprise you. I am 55. I have had it relatively easy in my lifetime. My faith in Jesus has ultimately really probably not cost me anything. I don't know if that's gonna be true for our kids and grandkids. Our world is getting more gray. The lines are getting blurred. And Jesus says, listen, I'm telling you, as time goes and the birth pains begin of the end, there will be wars and rumors of wars. And here's what I, this is what he told his disciples. This will really fire up the troops. People are gonna hate you. You're gonna lose business. You're gonna lose friends. And it's gonna cost you. Just know it's coming. See, in our world, we may get business from going to church. There will come a day in our lifetime for some people that may be younger, potentially, that your faith will ostracize you. And you saying that you are a Christian will cost you. Last week, we showed uh, Roscoe Lilly in the um, pre giving portion, Roscoe, pastors in Clifton Park, New York. It is harder to be a Jesus follower in Clifton Park, New York than it is in Ackworth and Kennesaw, Georgia. So his daughter, Roscoe was telling me his daughter went away to a, a great Christian university and some of her friends at the university 
aren't living what they sing about and share about. And she doesn't understand it because in the world that she grew up in, when you say you're a Jesus follower, you're a Jesus follower. There is no cultural Christianity. It is all or nothing. They make life very hard up there on his church. Well, that will become more um, apparent. There's a great site called opendoors.org. In 93, Christians faced high persecution and extreme levels of persecution in 40 countries. In 2023, that doubled to 76. During that time, the top 50 of those, they report 312 million Christians across the world face high or extreme levels of persecution. I remember when Anne's family was overseas in a, a Muslim country and they had to talk in code because everything, you would hear the clicks on the phone, everything was being recorded. That's normal over there. That wasn't abnormal. They expected it. They were prepared for it. And you could hear the mosque going off in the background. Different world. Jesus says, hey, don't let it surprise you. It's coming. It's not like the fourth quarter is gonna start and you're thought, well, I thought this was gonna be easy. No, it's not gonna be easy. But here, I got the best news of all. We win the game. Isn't that great news? All right, we win the game. It's like watching an old rerun of a game. You already know we win. There's nothing to worry about. We're gonna win. But while we're in the game, it's gonna get tough. Stand firm. Your faith may cost you something. And it will get harder before he comes. Take heart, he's overcome the world. My God, that really doesn't fire me up, right? I know you're like, I got out of bed to come hear that. Listen, this isn't me, this is him. I'm just telling you to stand firm. Your faith matters. Number three, live sent. Before his return, I have a short time to make a difference. Life is fleeting. I have a short time to make a difference. Because life is what it is and eternity is what it is, God's got a great game plan for people to hear who his son is. Everybody look at me. All eyeballs on me. You're the game plan. There is no secondary game plan. We know in Revelation there will be an angel that will proclaim to the world who he is and then the end will come. But until then, you're the game plan. I'm the game plan. And I don't live sent. I don't live out my faith. Somebody loses and eternity is real. Live sent. It matters I love how Jesus said it in the good news about the king will be preached throughout the whole world and all the nations will hear it. Well, Mike, what's that look like? Well, I'll tell you one thing it looks like. I wanna invite up some good friends. They gather here, many of them gather at 1130 and then they gather here on Tuesday nights. Would y'all welcome our WAVE college ministry students up today to join me on stage? Sellers and Elise and this amazing 
group of students. So we, we hear about college spring break, and I know there's towns in Florida that are like, we don't want spring breakers, we don't want any college students coming. They want these guys coming. March 9th through the 16th, these guys are giving up their college spring break. 18 are going to Denver, Colorado. 18 are going to Miami, Florida to work with homeless population, refugees, church planners, and to live some. Why? Because eternity's real. Your faith is true. And somebody's got to tell them. The book of Romans, Monday night, I was in uh, South Carolina and I was speaking to a group of people with an organization. <clears throat> and Paul says, how will they hear unless somebody tells them? And how will they know unless they hear? Beautiful are the feet of those that bring the good news of Jesus. Would y'all agree with me? These are some beautiful feet up here. There's somebody that's down on their luck in Miami, Florida, or somebody who's hit rock bottom in Denver, Colorado, that's gonna see Jesus March 9th through the 16th from somebody here. And we wanna pray for them. But here's the deal. You get to live sent tomorrow morning too. Drew talked about it two weeks ago at your offices, your businesses, the ball fields you coach in, your neighborhoods and your homes. So would y'all join me in a word of prayer? Father, I thank you for these amazing students on the stage. They, they fire me up. Because they get it. And Father, they worship to live sent. They've sacrificed a week of their time to live sent. Father, how beautiful are the feet of those that come to bring the good news. Father, thank you that they are a living representation of we don't know when Jesus is coming, but on my watch, I'm willing to give up a week of my life to go tell. I'm willing to raise money to pay my way to go tell. Father, may we have the same fervor as I get up and walk out the door tomorrow morning to go to my office or my business, to go to the ball field tomorrow night. Father, may we tell your story well because you are coming again. And God, on our watch, we want the whole world to know God, bless these amazing people on this stage and bless these incredible people sitting in all of our venues that are full this morning. God, we don't know when it's gonna be, but God, we know there'll be a day that the last one has heard and you'll come again.
God, bless these amazing people. And God, may we live sent for you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen.